Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you've not already, I do encourage you to uh, nominate us in the Podcast Awards, podcastawards.com. We're currently registered in the Best Male Hosted and uh, Best Entertainment Podcast categories. Uh, And again, just go to podcastawards.com before July 31st. Well now, let's get into this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air date, January 26, 1954, and the title is... The Beauregard Matter. This is the WBBM Air Theater, Wrigley Building, Chicago. WBBM FM, Chicago. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment John Lund as Johnny Dollar. Dave Brace, Johnny. Plymouth Mutual. Oh, hiya, Dave. Uh, Johnny, uh, sapphires are bad luck. Yeah, so are black cats. Cats don't get stolen, though. Or at least we don't insure them. How much? 30000 Does the name Benny Stark mean anything to you? Benny Stark. Yeah, jewel thief. Couple of convictions. I haven't heard of him lately. Well, you're hearing now. He called us from Rockport, outside of Chicago. Wants to talk a deal. He apparently has the sapphire necklace. Who's your client, Dave? A girl named Ellen Beauregard. Big wheel in Rockport society. I've already made your plane and hotel reservations and gave Benny your name. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you John Lund in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum present these weekly adventures of Johnny Dollar because they know that millions of you enjoy Johnny Dollar. That's true of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, too. It's enjoyed by millions, day in and day out. People find that chewing on a smooth, delicious piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum somehow makes time pass more pleasantly. Whether you're working, driving, shopping, or just taking things easy, that good, tasty chewing gives you enjoyment and satisfaction. So always keep a package of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. And whenever you want a refreshing, delicious treat... Chew a stick. You'll like it. You really will. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Plymouth Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the... Beauregard matter. Expense account item one, $58.40. Airfare and incidentals to Rockport, Illinois. I checked into the Bleecker Hotel and waited for a contact from one Benny Stark, jewel thief. I planned to see the Beauregards later. 
But instead, the Beauregards came to see me. Or anyway, one of them did. I'm Jared Beauregard, Mr. Dallara. It was my niece, Ellen, from whom the necklace was stolen. May I... Oh, sure. Come in, Mr. Beauregard. Have a seat. Thank you, sir. This is a little unexpected. I just got in town. Well, uh, Mr. Brace of the insurance company wired us you were coming. I, I wanted to talk to you before you saw Ellen. Oh, I see. My niece is a, a remarkable girl, Mr. Dollar. A trifle headstrong at times, though, and not always inclined to use the best judgment. Well, I guess that could apply to most of us. Uh, yes, uh, yes, of course. Uh, tell me, Mr. Dollar, do you have any hope that the necklace may be recovered? I think so. It's uh, fairly certain, in fact. Well, Ellen will be uh, very happy. It was an engagement gift, you understand, from Phil Avery, her fiancé. She was quite broken up when it was stolen. Yes, I imagine. $30,000 is quite a loss. Well, it's more the sentiment attached than the uh, beauty of it. You've uh, seen a necklace, Mr. Dollar? No, but I have photographs of it. Oh, yes, from the insurance company. Well, uh, about your niece, Mr. Beauregard. Uh, just what was it you wanted to tell me? Uh, well, uh, I... Oh, excuse me. Johnny Dollar. Uh, this is Benny, Mr. Dollar. Oh, okay, shoot. Do you know where the pink pigeon is? No, but I'll find it. Well, it's south of town. I'll meet you there at 9 o'clock tonight, back booth behind the bar. Make it? Yeah, sure. Have you um, got the item? I got more than that. I got information that'll blow the lid off. I've been double-crossed, Dollar, and I'm going to get even. What do you mean, double-crossed? Uh-huh. First, we make a deal. See you tonight. I've uh, got to run along, Mr. Dollar. I, I didn't really have anything in particular, just that, uh, well, Ellen is too impulsive sometimes, but she never means any harm by it. I, I'm sure you understand. Expense account item two, $14 to hire a car. Benny was on ice until nine o'clock, so I decided to call on Ellen Beauregard, the girl who was too headstrong and impulsive but uh, didn't mean any harm by it. Uncle Jarrett was wrong, though. I didn't understand. I left the car near the Beauregard coach house and walked down the terrace toward the entrance. Ahead of me, in a glassed-in sunroom, a man and a girl were so busy with each other that they didn't even notice me. A highly romantic scene. The mistress of the house, probably. The only trouble, though, she was wearing a maid's uniform. She was still a little flushed when she answered the door. Good afternoon, sir. I'd like to see Miss Ellen Beauregard. Uh, my name is Johnny Dollar. Dollar? You're the investigator on the robbery. Dave must have wired everybody in town. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Won't you come in? Thanks. If you'll wait there, please, I'll tell Miss Beauregard you're here. Yeah, right. Bye, Ellen. See you later. Oh, hello, you must be the insurance fellow. You too. Ellen said you were due in town today. I'm Phil Avery, Mr. Dollar. How do you do? Ellen and I are engaged. I gave her that necklace that was stolen. 
Yes, I know. I certainly hope you can get it back. The insurance won't cover the sentimental value. Sentimental value? Yes. Oh, I know. I saw you come up on the terrace, but appearances are deceiving sometimes. I wouldn't want you to misunderstand. Oh, I think I understand perfectly, Mr. Avery. Good. Good. Well, I got to run. My offices are in the central bank building. Drop in if there's any information you'd like. Thanks, I will. Bye. I'm awfully sorry to keep you waiting, Mr. Dollar. Quite all right, Miss Beauregard. Gave me a chance to meet your fiancé. Oh, isn't Phil a darling? Headstrong sometimes, impulsive, but he... That never means any harm by it, that is? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose you want to know all about the robbery. No, I think I know most of it already. I would like to see the safe, though. Oh, yes, of course. It's over here behind the painting. You've just got to find that necklace, Mr. Dollar. I feel so guilty about it. Guilty? Why? Well, because it it was a gift from Phil, and not that I was careless, but... <laughs> well, I'm sure you understand. Here it is, back of the portrait. Hmm. An old-fashioned one, huh? Everything in the house is. Our family's been around quite a while. Yes. Wouldn't be much of a job for a professional safecracker. How'd they get into the house, Miss Beauregard? Force a lock somewhere? No, they must have had a key. You see, I'd gone out for the afternoon, and Uncle Jarrett was off somewhere, and the house was empty. Your maid wasn't here? Lois? No, after I left, she decided to go into town to do some shopping or something. Oh, they, they couldn't have picked a better time. No, they couldn't have. Oh, say, incidentally, you'll, uh, you'll probably be talking to Uncle Jarrett, and uh, I wanted to warn you about him. Of course, he means well, but... Is he headstrong and impulsive, too? No. No, it's just that he's, well, a little vague. I'm sure you understand, Mr. Dollar. It was nearly dark when I left, filled with understanding and with a lot of questions about the Beauregard establishment that still needed answering. I started to open the door of my car when I caught a flash of white at the corner of the coach house. Somebody had seen me and then tried to duck out of sight. I walked across the drive and moved quietly up to the corner. Evening, Lois. Can I help you with that? No. No, I was just going to burn some trash. Well, fine. Let me put it in the incinerator for you. No, please. Oh, it's no trouble. I'll just... Hey, have you sorted through this? There's something heavy inside these papers. Lois. Please, let me have it. You won't understand. Well, you're the first one around here who hasn't thought so. Lois! She sounds impatient. You better run along. I'll take care of this for you. No, please, you... Oh! I knew what it was already. And in a moment, I had it unwrapped. A thirty-two caliber revolver. And one chamber had been fired. Recently. Mr. Dollar? I slipped the gun in my pocket and shoved the papers into the incinerator. Mr. Dollar? Uh, right here, Miss Beauregard. Oh. Oh, I saw your car was still in the driveway and I... Just checking the layout of the grounds. I'm leaving now. Oh. Lois just came in from somewhere in this direction. Oh? Was she talking to you by any chance? Oh, we passed the time of day. Well, don't believe anything she tells you. Any definite reason why not? Oh, I've caught her in all sorts of lies. I I didn't want to say anything inside. She might have been listening. How long has she been with you? Four months. 
She goes out in the afternoon sometimes, and I know she lies about where she's been. Do you think she had something to do with the robbery? I don't know. I'm only suggesting that you check very carefully on anything she might tell you. Well, if she's like you say, uh, why have you kept her? Well, I've been planning to let her go, but... Well, objections were raised. Who raised the objections? Uncle Jarrett. I got back to the hotel and went to my room. I had another surprise waiting for me. Come right in, son. Have a seat. Oh, thanks. I could be in the wrong room, of course. Not of your Mr. Dollar. You know a fellow named Benny Stark? Not exactly. I'm looking forward to meeting him, though. I see. You got business with him? I might. Do I uh, have any with you? My name's Cotton, Mr. Dollar. I'm the chief of police here. Oh. I see. How did you get on to me? Found your name where Stark had written it down. Had your room number here at the hotel. He a friend of yours? Well, I guess we might as well work together, Chief. I'm an insurance investigator. Checking on that Beauregard robbery. Ah, so that's it. Stark is a jewel thief. He phoned the company and offered to talk a deal. I've got an appointment with him at nine tonight. Yeah, I don't reckon you're going to be able to keep it. Why not? Because this Stark fellow got himself shot a few hours ago. Real shot. Dead, in fact. Murdered? Yeah. Found him in a room in house over across town. Uh, you wouldn't know anything about it, would you, Mr. Dollar? I might. What kind of a gun was it? Thirty-two revolver, according to the lab. Well, this might be the gun. Hmm. Been fired, all right. Where'd you get it? I took it away from Lois, the Beauregard's maid. She was trying to hide it in the incinerator. You might have it checked, but I doubt if it's registered. It's registered. Huh? We don't have many guns around town here. I recognize this one. Belongs to Jared Beauregard. Uncle Jared, huh? What about these Beauregards? Who are they? What are they? Old line family, four generations. Just the two of them now, Jared and Ellen. Not as wealthy as they once were, maybe. You never know, though. Lately, at least, Jared seems to have plenty of money. Lately? Oh, not just since the robbery, if that's what you think. And I meant the last four or five months. Uh, what about this Phil Avery? Been here a couple of years. Fine young fellow, civic leader. Everybody was pretty tickled when they got engaged last spring. Figured they was meant for each other. Well, he goes in for lavish gifts, at least. Expecting anybody? No. Who is it? Lois. I've got to talk to you, Mr. Dollar. Just a second. You want to dodge into the bathroom and listen in? Good idea. Come in, Lois. Thank you. I I've got to have it back, Mr. Dollar. What? The gun. Oh, please, Mr. Dollar, it's not the way it looks. Someone's trying to get me in trouble. I found the gun. Where? Hidden under the mattress of my bed. I got scared. I was trying to get rid of it when you stopped me. Tonight in the paper, it says a man's been shot. Did you know him? No. You know whose gun this is? No, I don't know anything about it. Give it to me, please. I'd like to, Lois, but I'm afraid it's not that simple. All right, Chief.
friends. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum is a refreshing, delicious treat you can enjoy just about any time. Even when you're busy working, you can slip a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint in your mouth and enjoy that pleasant chewing. The lively, full-bodied spearmint flavor cools your mouth and freshens your taste. The good, smooth chewing helps relieve pent-up tension, gives you satisfaction. As a result, you seem to feel more relaxed and get more enjoyment out of what you're doing. So enjoy chewing Wrigley's Spearmint Gum while you work and at other times, too. Get a few packages next time you're at the store. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. And now with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account item three, $2.90. Two hamburger steak lunches the next day at noon in the Bleecker Hotel Grill. Apparently a favorite daytime eating place for the president of the Central City Bank. Oh, hey, that's... Oh, my, that's fine. I say, you mind passing me that uh, Tabasco sauce, Mr. Dollar? Oh, here you are. Oh, oh I love it on hamburger. <laughs> I love hamburger, for that matter. <laughs> Just a proletarian at heart, I guess. <laughs> Maybe so, but you've got some pretty aristocratic clients, haven't you? Well, that's a bank for you. Guess you mean the Beauregards. Well, oh, here, try some of the sauce. Yeah, thanks. Mmm, my. Oh, they're aristocratic enough as far as a family background is concerned. A social position, that sort of thing, but... When it comes to money, that's another story. When you want to know about a man's economic status, <laughs> just ask his banker. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you are. Now, you understand, Mr. Dollar, that I wouldn't ordinarily let this information out. Yes, I, yes, yes, of course. The fact is, I'm though right. the town figures they're rolling in it, the Beauregards are broke. Near flat broke. They have been for a couple of years. What about that house? The estate. Oh, my, it's mortgage to the hilt. Like a few other properties, they've still managed to hang on to. But cash, oh, no, no, they haven't got it. You gonna eat that butter, Mr. Nana? Huh? Oh, no, no, go ahead. Thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah. Except the last three or four months. You know, it's a funny thing. Old Jarrett seems to be going around with a pocket full of money. <laughs> Probably borrowing it from his prospective son-in-law. <laughs> Bill Avery, huh? How is he fixed financially? Oh, how is he fixed? A man who can afford a $30,000 engagement gift? <laughs> I've never looked through his account, but I'd say that if he doesn't have it, he soon will have. Oh, my, that boy's a go-getter. Pretty well thought of, huh? Elected him to the board of directors of the bank last month. <laughs> You're not going to eat that roll? Oh, thank mm. you. Thank you, thank you. I don't know how he finds time for it, that boy. He's got a half a dozen jobs already. He had to postpone his wedding, even. <laughs> they were supposed to get married three weeks ago. Oh, I see. Uh, Lois, the Beauregard's maid, wouldn't have anything to do with that, would she? Oh, gossip, gossip. Oh, what gets around that gossip? Well, she's a pretty little thing, you know. <laughs> and a man who's about to tie himself down for life, well... Uh... <laughs> You know how that is. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it'd be just too bad a felon found out about it, though. <laughs> this town would be in for some real excitement if she found... Oh, would you pass that sauce again, Mr. Dollar? 
afternoon, Chief. I have a couple... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were busy. Well, that's all right. Come on in. Uh, you know Mr. Avery, I believe. Yes, we've met. How are you, Mr. Dollar? Glad you came. This concerns you, too. Well, Mr. Avery figures we're doing this girl, Lois, an injustice. She's not involved in any of this, Mr. Dollar, either the theft or the murder. She's not the kind. I know her. How well, Mr. Avery? Well enough to know that she's a pretty fine person. The only trouble is, Mr. Avery, I've got a pretty strong case against a girl. She was trying to dispose of the murder gun. She'd know the time, the house would be empty to set up the robbery. She could have given Benny Stark a key to get in. One thing, though, Chief Cotton. We haven't found the necklace. Unless she can be tied up with that, a case won't stand. Uh, we're still looking. What about her room at the Beauregard's? Or places around the house that she might have access to? First thing in the morning, we're going to take it to pieces, Mr. Dollar. Uh, you won't find a thing. Wait and see. I'm afraid that's what we'll have to do, Mr. Avery. Wait and see. Well, you go on back and talk to her if you want. I told Ed you could have 15 minutes. Thanks, Chief Cotton. I'll see you, Mr. Dollar. Right. Now, what's on your mind, Mr. Dollar? Jewelers. This is a photo of that necklace. You know any jeweler here in town who could make a duplicate imitation? Mm, no, have to go to Chicago for that. Well, that's what I want to know. Whether somebody did go into Chicago four or five months ago. Well, I could get Jim over here from Hawkley's Jewelry Store. He could give him a technical description over the phone. Chicago police work pretty fast. Might have some information back by this evening. Good. I'll wait to hear from you. There was nothing more I could do until I heard from the Chicago police. So I went to my hotel room to wait it out. Johnny Dollar. Ellen Beauregard, Mr. Dollar. Oh, yes, Miss Beauregard. We wondered if you'd come out to dinner tonight. Well, that's awfully nice. Uh, yes, I'd like to. Good. It's just the family. Seven o'clock, all right? Fine. See you then. <laughs> Expense account item four, $14. Car rental for an additional 24 hours to attend dinner party at home of client. I arrived at 6.45, parked by the coach house. And then at 7 o'clock, I joined Phil Avery in the billiard room. We were about to start a game when the phone call I'd been hoping for came through. I took it on the extension in the entry hall. Johnny Dollar. Chief Cotton, Mr. Dollar. Just got word from Chicago. Oh, good. Any luck? Yes, they located the custom jeweler who made a copy of that necklace five months ago. He remembered it well. Did he remember the client? Yes. A girl whose description fits Ellen Beauregard to a T. Then it all adds up. Oh, I found the necklace, by the way. Well, maybe I'd better come out there. The sooner the better, Chief. I'll see you. Well, good evening, Mr. Beauregard. You've discovered our little family secrets, I take it. I'm afraid so. I knew you would. I wanted to tell you. I warned Ellen, but she's headstrong. Of course, it was legal in the beginning. But not later. No. You'd better ask Ellen to come down. As you wish, Mr. Dollar. Well, shall we start the game, Mr. Avery? Right. Go ahead and break them. Let's make it straight pool. Huh? Okay. 
Good start. Two on the break. Like shooting quail in the brush. Ah, <laughs> uh, four ball in the corner pocket. By the way, Mr. Avery, you were right about Lois. She isn't guilty. She was being framed. I told you so. She's not involved in any of this except as an innocent bystander. Even though I found the necklace a little while ago hidden in her room. You found it? Oh, good. The Beauregards, though, are not quite so innocent. Hmm? A seven ball in the side pocket. What, what do you mean? The Beauregards needed money. They were still keeping up a front, but they were broke. And when you started getting interested in Ellen, they figured you were their answer. You make her sound pretty cold-blooded. Oh, I don't think there was much love lost on either side. You were playing the same game. Now, wait a minute. It was a natural the way you saw it. Ellen, the last of an old line family, prominent, wealthy. Why, she was the key to open any door in town. So you gambled your stake on a $30,000 gift to show her that you weren't a fortune hunter. Mr. Dollar, I don't like this. Twelve ball in the far corner. Hmm. Then, about a month ago, you had a chance to see the Beauregard accounts at the bank. Why, they were broker than you were. I wasn't marrying Ellen for money. Only trouble was you couldn't stand losing that 30 grand necklace. So you brought Benny Stark in, and he stole it for you. But when he gave it to you, he told you it was phony, and you thought he was double-crossing you. He got sore and decided to try for a deal with the insurance company. And that's why you killed him. You're accusing me of murder, Mr. Dolly? Let's see now the uh, eight ball in the end pocket. Well, who else, Mr. Avery? Lois wasn't involved, except that you tried to frame her. The Beauregards knew the sapphire necklace was an imitation. You were the one who didn't. It wasn't an imitation. I paid $30,000 for it. Not this one. Ellen sold yours a month after you gave it to her. They've been living on the money. She had this one made in Chicago. Why, that dirty little... Another clincher. You were the only one who heard me tell Chief Cotton that we'd have to find the necklace before we could convict Lois. So you brought it here tonight and planted it... Well, apparently I don't have to go on. No, you don't. Did you steal that gun from Uncle Jared, too? Oh, no. This is my own. Better lay down that cue now and get your hands up. Slow and easy. And if I don't, you... Thanks, Miss Barker! Mr. Dollar. Well, a billiard cue makes quite a weapon. What's this all about? Well, it seems your fiancé is the lad who had your safe rifled and then later killed his partner. Killed him? Yeah, I guess murder is worse than fraud. What do you mean? You filed an insurance claim on a necklace you'd already sold. I rather imagine the company is going to prosecute. Chief Cotton's on the way, Miss Beauregard. <laughs> Ex-
Expense account item five, $114.10. Hotel, incidentals, and transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $203.40. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, friends, Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum is a refreshing, delicious treat you can enjoy just about any time. Chew a few sticks of Wrigley's Spearmint during the day and see how the good chewing helps keep you feeling fresh and alert. The lively, full-bodied flavor of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum cools your mouth, freshens your taste, and sweetens your breath. The chewing itself gives you a nice little boost, helps you keep going at your best. Millions of people get real chewing enjoyment out of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. And we know that you'll enjoy it, too. Get a few packages and always keep some handy. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by Les Crutchfield with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Howard McNear, Herb Butterfield, Ted DeCorsia, Jane Webb, Lamont Johnson, and Mary Jane Croft. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you enjoyed tonight's story of Johnny Dollar and that you're enjoying delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. This is Charles Lyon inviting you to join us again next week at this same time when from Hollywood, John Lund returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is the CBS Radio Network. Julius LaRosa's... Welcome back. Well, I don't know if there's anything quite as cool as laying out the solution to the mystery while you're also uh, doing something else that's mentally demanding. Now, most detectives, when they're explaining a case, really just stick to uh, the explanation. And even though those sort of scenes don't usually happen in real life, if you suspend belief and imagine that they did, there's good reason for it. Because you're sitting there explaining the intricate details of this case and who did what to whom and all the information and you want to keep it straight as you're explaining it. The ability to shoot a game of billiards or play pool while explaining this is really uh, intellectual style points. I remember Columbo had a similar scene where he was explaining all of these details of the murder while he shot, I forget whether it was billiards or pool, and another where he was cooking a meal while he explained the murder. And both of these are in themselves very involved tasks that require a lot of concentration to do well. 
And that's just a huge flex of brain power. It also kind of uh, lends credence to the idea that Columbo's last-minute questions and confusions and delaying uh, tactics are at least sometimes uh, a bit of an act. Oh, I digress. I don't think you see this a lot, which is good, because I think that, you know, if everybody's doing it all the time, it gets kind of ridiculous. But that makes it very special, those few times where you do see it and the detective, you know, does something really complicated, showing his intelligence, his wits, and his extraordinary multitasking skills. Now, when I heard the name Benny Stark, a a lot went on in my head, and I was trying to figure out, I I was pretty certain that we had not played this script, or or a story with this script, since uh, beginning Johnny Dollar uh, anew back in uh, 2019. But I recognized the name of Benny Stark, and... Uh, there's good reason for that. There was another character named Benny Stark in my favorite Johnny Dollar story ever, and perhaps my favorite old-time radio uh, program ever, the Nick Shurman. And that story was, of course, by uh, Les Crutchfield. And you will find on occasion, you know, if you really listen closely to a lot of... uh, a radio writer's work that there are certain names that get repeated. Certainly that was the case with uh, the James Moser scripts on Dragnet, where there were several last names that were used, you know, repeatedly, you know, which you notice if you, you know, listen through the series on a regular basis. Of course, one that was used a couple times on the radio program that stands out is Gannon because, you know, that became the last name of Joe Friday's last partner. We don't hear that as much on Johnny Dollar just because of the variety of the writers. But Mr. Crutchfield wrote a lot of radio scripts, and I would be surprised if this was the only time that he accidentally reused the name of a character from one script to an unrelated one. And of course, this uh, would be made into a serial script for Bob Bailey. There were a couple of parts I thought were kind of odd. You know, at the beginning where the insurance agent told Johnny that he had already booked Johnny's flight and hotel... If I were Johnny, I'd say, well, I'm glad you were able to reach me or you would have felt a little silly. I guess you didn't have nearly as many non-refundable reservations back then. It seems like, yeah, a really silly move to make unless the insurance companies have some way of knowing for sure that Johnny is either on assignment or out. And there's been a couple times where the insurance company has indicated they're not sure. And then the meeting with the uh, bank president. This takes me back a couple of months to an episode of the Sheriff of Cochise. And a banker went to the sheriff's office and brought banking information and records 
without a warrant or a subpoena. I thought, boy, that's pretty dicey, particularly, you know, would be today. That's a pretty extreme lack of respect for uh, their customers' privacy. And then we get this week's episode, where the bank president discusses a customer, a prominent, well-known customer's financial status with Johnny in public in a restaurant. Anyone in the 21st century who works with confidential or sensitive information just kind of cringes a little at a scene like that. Or if you've had any experience. Now, one thing I did say with Sheriff of Cochise is that there was an idea inherent in a lot of these Golden Age programs, or movies, or books even, that small towns were different. You're probably not going to get the head of a big financial firm in New York to tattle on a cu- prominent customers' finances, but, you know, in a small town, things are more informal. And that was the idea behind this particular trope. Whether it was ever realistic, I have no idea. Listener comments and feedback now. And we have uh, a new three-star review in the Apple Store. This one comes from Fuzwan, specifically on Johnny Dollar, there are times I can't stand Johnny Dollar. His demeanor uh, at times is rude, ignorant, and, well, not called for. Uh, Then there are times I can stand him. The show itself is outstanding, I do say. No doubt about that. It's just the character of him. Well, thanks for uh, the review. Um, You know, I I think, obviously, it's kind of hard to pin down. Because we have so many episodes of Johnny Dollar in the podcast feed, going back to the Bob Bailey half hour, I think it probably comes down to writing and the way certain writers write the character as opposed to any specific performance. I don't think any uh, specific Johnny Dollar actor had a default arrogant approach to the character, but this is a series that had a lot of cooks and creative forces on it. So thanks again uh, so much for the comment. And then we have a comment on YouTube from Fred regarding Johnny Dollar, and he's referencing the Monopoly matter, and he writes, I haven't heard the name Johnny Dollar since the 1950s. Nobody I know ever heard of him. I was beginning to think I had made him up. Uh, This was everything I remember. Thank you. As for Monopoly, I remember winning only one game. I thought the sound was just like the car radio I remember. Thanks again. Well, I appreciate the comment, and I'm so glad to be able to verify the existence of Johnny Dollar. And it's something that's happened to me too, not with uh, old-time radio, but sometimes uh, something will just uh, slip into obscurity. Uh, But you're like, I remember this thing. I remember this is something that existed, and uh, I can't find any evidence of it. I remember being so happy to find evidence There was a 1980s Superman cartoon, the late 80s, called, you know, it's known as the Ruby Spears uh, Superman uh, series. 
And I was so overjoyed to find that because I had remembered it, but nobody ever talked about it. So it's like, did, was that something that I just imagined? Or did that actually happen? You know, because, you know, people talked about Superman the Animated Series and didn't talk about the one that uh, was released, like, you know, a little less than a decade before. So I got the DVD, watched all the episodes. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't nearly as good as my childhood uh, memories indicated. So I'm glad that Johnny Dollar at least matched with what you remembered. And again, thanks so much for your comment, Fred. It's truly appreciated. Now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Robert, Patreon supporter since December 2018, currently supporting the show at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Robert. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. And also remember to nominate the Great Detectives in Old Time Radio on the Podcast Awards at podcastawards.com. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But coming up tomorrow, listen for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Shot through the back three times. Watch out for that broken glass. Yeah, I'm watching. Place sure smells with all the bottles smashed. Alcohol dries up fast. Yeah, left big stain rings, though. Puddled right out to here before it dried out. Any of your deputies or anybody pick up any of those bottles that are cracked or broken? No, I got here right after Mrs. Bond. Nobody's touched a thing. Why? Well, floor is spotted past those stain marks. Look toward the door, a string of small spots, hmm. like something been carried that way, dripping. Jace, I was careful to see that nothing was touched, that nobody stepped in where the liquor had been spilled. Those spots might be a break for us, then, because somebody carried a bottle out of here. It must have been cracked and leaking. You mean the killer might have grabbed it up? That's right. If it marked this floor, it'd mark the walk outside, too. Come on, let's take a look. Spots run right to the door, all right. Lucky I told the deputies to keep everybody off the side of the place. Yeah, careful where you step. I want to run a flashlight along the sidewalk here. It's been mighty dry around here, Jace. Dust surface on the ground. That'll help us. Yeah. It's here, all right. Look, mm. little craters in the dust dried out hollow. Yeah. They only go a few feet. Marks end right here at the curb. Well, that tells us something. Whoever was carrying that bottle got into a car. They weren't on foot. Tire tracks aren't going to help us. Mess of them all around from cars driving in and out. Yeah, I wish our killer had been on foot, Frank. Why? That'd point to somebody who came from close by. Somebody in the town. Car doesn't rule that out. No, but it sure broadens the field. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.